Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today we have with us the famous creator of Offensive Crayons. This is an adult-only box of crayons with names like Boner Bill Blue, Miscarriage Maroon, and Privilege White. Uh, the inappropriately named crayons, they've been banned from Amazon for insulting children in Caucasians. That's incredible. She is also the co-host and the producer of the popular comedy sex podcast, Two Girls, One Mike. This is the porncast where they review the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. These are amazing. Uh, we have with us Alice Vaughn. Alice, how's it going? I'm doing great, Quinn. How are you doing today? Um, I'm doing fantastic. So, Alice, this is, is the names of your products, the products themselves. I think they are, it's genius because you must get so much free marketing from, I actually, uh, before we get into it, I saw your website. All the negative marketing that uh, editors do about you, you posted it on the banner of your website. Oh, absolutely. Wow. So th that's fantastic. Uh, how does somebody, let's start with the crayons. How does somebody get into crayons? <laughs> so... It's funny because I never thought I would have a crayon empire. Uh, generally, you don't grow up thinking, oh, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Or, I mean, I, I, I came from a science background and I was in software sales. So you wouldn't think, oh, crayons, yes, natural next step. It was honestly an idea I had because I wanted to do actually something totally different. But um, I wanted to try out the Kickstarter platform because... As you know, if you have a good idea, then you know you post it on Kickstarter. You do all the marketing and work, and if it if it's something that's viable, then people will want it. But I had a really big goal for this totally different project, and the goal was like one hundred fifty thousand. And I thought to myself, okay, I've never even done this before. I need to start with something small, and you know, see if this small thing is even going to work. And if I could just walk myself through this process, then I can learn so much. Because when you're fundraising, you don't learn, you don't know uh, what you don't know until you do it. So I had this idea that I wrote down in a notepad a while back uh, called, you know, adult, adult themed crayons. And I realized no one ever made adult crayons before. It was actually just something that kind of was in the ethos of online. People would joke about like Crayola colors that shouldn't exist or do exist. And I thought, this is fun. I can do this, right? So it took me about a month, month and a half to plan everything. And I found a manufacturer. I found a graphic designer. And I started coming up with the names. And the second I launched it, Within 48 hours, I had hit my goal and I had been getting called. Then I started getting calls from the Daily Mail. I got calls from the Inquisitor, from Big Think. They wanted to talk and write an article about my crayons. Wow. And I hadn't even come out with them yet. So what was the difference here? Just the names? Why are yeah. they adult crayons? It's just yeah, the names. Just the names. And so that's the thing. I've just taken a regular everyday crayons and I've slapped on a custom box and I made custom names. That's it. 
Wow. That is, I mean, that's so incredible. And now every grown-up has the excuse to buy crayons for themselves. And this is something very giftable because you can you can have a laugh with somebody when you're gifting them a box of crayons that are shaped like the middle finger. Like that the packaging of those crayons is fantastic as well. I, I love it. I'm looking at it on my left screen. And it's called the red, white, and fuck you. So, uh, Alice, I'm I'm so impressed with these things. But I also searched for your name on Amazon. Um, I know you've been banned for um, from Amazon, but I still searched for your name to see. Sometimes there's you know third party sellers or retail arbitrage people selling them, uh, but they're not there. But your name, your brand name has a big organic search volume on Amazon. Oh, really? So people are searching for them. And so because of this, there's a lot of opportunistic sellers that have created something similar and they are selling on Amazon. Really? Uh, I've actually, let's see, I'm actually right now looking and I see some stuff like uh, Eat a Bag of Dicks coloring book. (laughs) Uh, and I would love to have my coloring books on there, but they're not there. I've seen someone have uh, offensive pencils, which I know ex- have existed for a little while, but I don't see any. Oh, and I see offensive business cards. Yeah, it's uh, mo- mostly coloring, crayon coloring books. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those actually existed when I went into the market because uh, coloring books about two years ago were hitting a huge peak. I mean, when you go to like Barnes and Nobles, they were like one of the top selling products were coloring books for adults, but yet they didn't have like writing utensils for adults that were just as silly and absurd. And I kind of made that niche. Actually, when I went on Amazon for the first time, so um, how I got on Amazon originally was uh, after a few months of me actually having the products out. It was close to the holiday season. And I had a few thousand units in my warehouse. And I thought to myself, well, this was a fun little thing that I tried out. Let me uh, get the rest of my inventory out there. And I signed up as an Amazon seller. And I actually had at the time an account manager and he called me actually a few weeks uh, into December. And he called me and said, what are you doing for advertising? I've never seen someone do this, like get these types of numbers and this type of volume with no ad spin on the platform at all. No PPC. Nothing. And what ended up happening was just the fact that my crayons were going viral at times and people were looking for them. And on top of that, here's a crazy part. I made someone something that no one else did. So people would, let's say, go to that uh, coloring book that says, eat a bag of dicks. And because I was the only one making offensive crayons, well, mine would actually be rec- uh, come up as a recommendation. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, this is, this is super cool. So, but right now, besides the, uh, the crayons, you also have so many other fantastic things on your website. Uh, and before I talk to them about, uh, about these, uh, I'm guessing you've been banned for, from other places as well. Where else? Yeah. So uh, the first ban was Amazon. Uh, That was January of 2018. 
and uh, I went viral. Um, so actually, no, um, to back up for two seconds, it was uh, the second or third week of January, and Amazon contacted me and said they had gotten some complaints and needed to investigate my product, so they were pulling it. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, this is fine. I mean, you know, I've sold most of my inventory. I didn't think I was going to continue doing crayons at the time. Uh, I just, again, thought of it as, well, this was a fun thing to do. Well, two days later, my product went viral on Reddit. And what ended up happening was I decided to set up a pre-order shop on um, just a Wix pre-order shop. And within, I want to say a week, I had gotten more in gross orders than I had made in a year. Wow. And that's when I thought, okay, I'm doing crayons now. Um, <laughs> and uh, so since then, though, I've been banned from, you're right, a handful of platforms. I can't do Twitter advertising, Facebook advertising. Um, I can't do uh, Reddit advertising. I've been kicked off of Send in Blue. Constant Contact has kicked me off. Um, I have also been banned from, uh, my trademark has been banned in China. Uh, and I've also received uh, from the Chinese government a cease and desist letter, um, as well as, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. There have been a couple other places uh, that, you know, I just... I cannot advertise at all. Um, so it's at least several places at the moment, uh, which is obviously, if you think about it, for any business, what a tragedy, you know, mm. especially since advertising is the lifeblood of most businesses. And having that cut off has forced me to become way more creative about the marketing campaigns, my strategy, and the content I put out because ultimately I have to get around that somehow. I actually, even when it comes to like face, actually, we just, um, my, uh, one of my partners and I, we, um, we, one of the ways we were advertising stuff was actually through some of our Facebook pages that we built up. Um, bear in mind, we had a Facebook page that six years ago was at 40,000 followers. We got it within six years to be up to over a million followers. And just last week, it was pulled down. No reason. Oh. And bear in mind, I've spent over $14,000 on Facebook ads. Facebook has actually told me that they're not going to even review, uh, open up uh, an appeals case. And I have that in writing. So this was for a page with over a million followers? Yeah. And actually and, didn't even have offensive content on it. Wow. Uh, that's, that's one of the risks. Uh, that's one of the risks. But then on the other side, you have to pull from your imagination and you have to go. Uh, I mean, even with some people can't do it with advertising. So you're doing it without advertising. And you have to think out of the box uh, like crazy. You need to have organic viral content. How do you, do you always achieve this? And if you do, how do you do it? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing with the internet, the internet giveth and the internet taketh away. <laughs> and you sometimes never even know what's going to go viral. Um, so to give you guys an idea, I had an idea for a face mask a few months ago, and it was a bearded man face mask. And it was pretty funny. And I thought it was great because, you know, it's like, oh, every man, woman, and, you know, prepubescent boy can now have a face mask with a full beard. But what tends to generally go viral are a handful of things I've noticed. I've noticed it generally has to be something that is kind of pushing the limits, which is why I tend to surround myself a lot with now comedians and following a lot of comedy stuff uh, overall. Um, so number one, it has to hit on something culturally where 
everybody feels it or, you know, everybody understands a premise or it's something that it's just so ridiculous. It has to make you laugh. So one of the things that recently went viral for me was a face mask, but it was not the bearded man face mask. It was a, it was a face mask of a ball gag. So, I'm looking at it. I'm looking yeah. at it. <laughs> <laughs> and all I did, so I, and anyone can do this. If you're, if you think you have a great idea for a viral shirt or a viral product or face mask, all you have to do is just use print on demand to your leverage. Because here's the thing, you don't want to invest thousands of dollars into inventory if something's not going to hit. So what I did, for example, with uh, this, this print, with, uh, with Printful was I created uh, the bearded, uh, the, well, the, uh, the ball gag face mask. I ordered it and I took a photo of myself wearing it. And I decided, well, what's a funny tweet? Like, wear something somewhere ridiculous for me to wear this. Oh, the grocery store. Ready to go grocery shopping. <laughs> and from there, 8,000, you know, shares and on. That is impressive. And, uh, yeah, I just had a I just had a print full here on the show, uh, so it's gonna go well. It's gonna go live before yours does. Uh, and one of the things I noticed was one of the T-shirts that was I'm guessing print print on demand too. That I thought it was genius. It was a one star review for the year of 2020 because it sucks for most people. The year 2020 has sucked, so you gave it a one star review on this shirt, which I like. I would wear that. So. Thank you. Um, another thing I've noticed is that, you know, once, by the way, you do have a viral product, obviously you're going to want to take it off. Uh, maybe let's say a print off demand and, you know, find a manufacturer to do it in bulk. Um, you know, shirts are one thing because then you have to have multiple sizing and whatnot. Um, for me with the face mask, I actually, right now I'm trying, I, you know, I'm working with a handful of different manufacturers and here's a kicker. So the face mask went viral three, four weeks ago now. And I'm only right now still in the, you know, phase where I'm getting samples. I'm saying, oh, the sample is too dark. The stitching on this is bad. Oh, they can't make it with a pocket if I want to sell it with the filter. So it's all these things that you start learning when you actually mm -hmm. decide to, you know, make your own product. You know, as much as you're going to try doing all the research ahead of time, until you start, you know, uh, you know, getting into the weeds of creating your own product, you're not going to know. So one of the things I tell people is if you're ever going to start your own product, you know, whether it be a face mask or crayons or a book or a t-shirt or whatever it might be, um, I always tell people, you know, first see if something like that exists on the market, see if it's going to go viral and then buy what exists out there. So that way, you know, and you know how to make it. Like I didn't know until I bought like five different crayon packs uh, that, you know, what the standard was for testing and that my crayons would have to be tested and I would have to label the box. Like I didn't know that, but it's something that you learn with each and every product that you're going to venture into. Yes. So many things that come up that were completely unexpected. Yeah. I, I've been there too. So uh, some of the products that I see on your site, the names themselves are make things shareable. Uh, so everything that I see that is shareable are the ones that I know that if somebody sees this, they will post on their social media because they want to be the cool person that shared something. I discovered this and, and some of the things are like your coffee mug, fresh out of Fox. Uh, some of the things, just the names of them, make it shareable. And then, of course, uh, everybody would like to 
I'll give one of those. I mean, why wouldn't you have one of those if you if you work uh, you have if you have a nine to five job? Why wouldn't you have one of those coffee mugs on your desk for your job for your boss to look at? <laughs> it's um, th- these things are. It makes me think that sometimes I think that I'm thinking out of the box and I'm and and I'm pretty decent at marketing. But then when I see some of these things, I'm like, wow, like we are behind because this is this is way out there. Uh, yeah, amazing. that's the thing. Um, not a lot of people will always read things like the headline or the description, but for the people that do, it does make a difference. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've found a Reddit thread where people were just having a full discussion about my descriptions in my store <laughs> because most of, I want to say 90% of the products on my store have a funny description. It's because most people... As, if you're not trying to go down the professional route, uh, you know, of a product and you're trying to be fun and yourself, well then be fun and yourself and show it. Uh, you can't, there is a level of professionalism you can have, but nowadays people want honesty and reality. And that's what I feel like I give them at least. Yeah, I definitely do. So, and Alice, you worked at one point, you worked with uh, trademarks or at a trademark office. Is that right? So I uh, I didn't work at a trademark office, but I definitely uh, got really into the weeds when it comes to trademarks. Uh, so I know <laughs> way too much about patents, copyrights, uh, things you can and can't post on like Amazon and eBay. Mm. Uh, you know, even when it comes to, you know, fighting trademark infringement overseas. So yeah, shoot. Yeah. So even though you, you know that much, of course, it's never enough. Uh, you never have enough knowledge about that that you won't get a cease and desist no, from the Chinese government, right? <laughs> that was a little unexpected, um, but it was basically because of my mark, uh, which was a cray- basically crayons with a middle finger, uh, and unfortunately was considered too obscene. <laughs> um, now, by the way, the reason I filed for a Chinese patent is because uh, there are places that will respect the American patent. Most people don't realize, like Alibaba and AliExpress, because they ship into the United States, they do actually respect the U.S. trademarks. Um, trademarks specifically, not talking about patents, but uh, they will respect those. However, there are websites like Taobao um, and Joomla and many others in which you need a local patent. Uh, And depending on your idea and your product, uh, it might just be worth it to do so. And it's not only filing in the US, but also EU and uh, China. Yes. And and that is something that I learned not too long ago that if somebody, if you do not have a trademark in China, somebody else can have it. And if they do, and your product is made in China, they can stop your product from crossing the border. So somebody told me that before, and because it's only like two hundred dollars to get that trademark, like why not get it done, right? It would be, it could, I mean, it could save you from some headaches. Well, it can be a little bit more uh, than $200. It depends exactly what you're filing, whether it's just a simple word mark, whether you're doing uh, also uh, an image involved in it, and how many categories you're filing that trademark for. Are you just doing it for maybe stationary and writing utensils like I am, or are you also doing it for, say, uh, merchandise and t-shirts, apparels, and things like that? Uh, there's, different six, I believe, 16 different niche categories, uh, and the more categories you register for, you are going to have to pay out more. So you're going to want to make sure that you're, fi- that you're not only looking into filing for you know the trademark under your the right department, but make sure that you 
file for anything else you plan to expand to while you're doing that, just because the process does take, well, at least nine months. Gotcha. And then about your... Uh, about Shopify. You never had any issues with Shopify? That's what you have right now, correct? Oh, I've been kicked off Shopify. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah, it was in December. Uh, people called me anti-Semitic. Uh, well, so uh, to start, I'm Jewish. Hi. Uh, <laughs> So um, the long story short of it is uh, December, I got a great boost. I went viral again. My product tends to go viral here and there, uh, but someone decided to take a photo of all my crayons and decided to circle only uh, one of them, uh, which is the gray one. Now, uh, if your audience isn't cool with this, oh, well, you're gonna, you might get a letter or two, <laughs> but uh, the gray color is called Auschwitz Ash. Uh, it's pretty horrific, as it should be considering the Holocaust was terrible. It was a genocide of millions of people. Uh, but here's the thing. Things can be both tragic and funny. You can have multiple emotions about them. I mean, how many COVID jokes have there been? Seriously. People Separate. utilize humor to deal with tragedy all the time. So the fact is that, you know, me as someone who <laughs> is Jewish, again, uh, so here's a kicker only about, and I contacted Shopify's legal team about this. Bear in mind, it doesn't matter how many sales you have and how much Shopify is making off you. Uh, in December alone, I had, oh, well over a hundred thousand dollars in sales from, you know, just my crayons. I had a huge spike, but what ended up happening, six people, less than half a dozen complained and called me anti-Semitic and got uh, my product booted off Shopify. So I had to switch to WordPress and I'm glad I did. And unfortunately, I had to build a lot more, you know, start from scratch with WordPress. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now if someone wants to take me down, they can just because it's hosted on my own servers. And you know what? There's so many people. Uh, I'm part of many groups and masterminds and, and I hear people all the time saying that you all, you need to own your platform. So go get a Shopify. And I tell them, you do not own Shopify, right? It's you have more control over who the customer is, knowing their information than over Amazon because you don't get their full information. But you do not own Shopify, and they can take you down, and they will. Alice, a couple months ago, I'd say three months ago, we had an account taken down on Amazon Shopify because of a video that was posted on YouTube. Right, this is a $240,000 a month Shopify account that was taken down because of a YouTube video. So there's nothing wrong on Shopify, but our brand had something wrong on YouTube. Uh, so yes, it was taken down. We talked to, to, the, uh, to the legal team and it is not going back up. Mm -hmm. right, we, we can create a new site, but the old one will not be turned back on. Like, okay. Yeah. And that's a problem. I mean, you know, here's the thing as, you know, as business owners, you know, if hypothetically we started a platform ourselves, I mean, you know, we would want certain rights of, you know, types of content we can and can't host. Now I get that. Now, you know, so I do feel that corporations do have rights to an extent. However, that said, I mean, there should be also an appeals process and it should be transparent. And the fact is that doesn't exist a lot of times. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't exist on places like Facebook. It doesn't exist really on places like Instagram or even Shopify. So depending on the type of product you're putting out there, um, you know, owning your own content. I mean, look, at the end of the day, Look, Shopify is great if you're starting out, but eventually, you know, work up to, you know, if you're a risk taker, work up to building up your own uh, 
WooCommerce store because then nobody can take you down. No one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, many, many years ago, we used to build uh, sites with a notepad and then launch them into our own, <laughs> to our own servers. But uh, yeah, those were 100% owned. Even the server was owned. Uh, yeah, very slow, but definitely not something I would do today. So, Alice, tell me something about your podcast. Tell me all about it. Not all, but tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I also have a show. It's called Two Girls from Mike, the Porncast. Uh, and you're right. We do review the holes and the potholes of your favorite porn. Well, maybe not yours, Quinn, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, so the idea actually kind of started as a joke with me and my co-host where, uh, we both come from science communication backgrounds and essentially we thought, you know, is someone doing this? Is someone reviewing porn for the plot? And it's, that's what it started as now what it's evolved to. So essentially we use the pornography plots as a jumping off point to have a number of different discussions. Like mm. today we actually had, uh, so for next week's record episode, we had comedian Sherard Small. He's an awesome hysterical comedian, but we reviewed Jurassic Park porn and we talked about lava and viscosity and uh, birds and the reproductive mating patterns and absurd topics like that. Uh, but we also get to talk about two people within the actual adult industry. See, here's the thing. When it comes to actually now me doing the porn cast for almost two years, it's actually not a crazy jump for me to go from crayons to porn. In pornography, there's actually a, a ton of things that are generally banned or uh, a lot of laws actually tend to target pornography first before they hit the mainstream. So everything from shadow banning users, taking down accounts, uh, you know, reduction of access on platforms to, I mean, right now in Congress, you know, there's uh, for the last few months, there's been a lot of talk about uh, repealing Section 230 uh, from sites like Twitter. Now, a lot of people don't totally understand what that means, frankly. But the thing is, if you look into it, it's kind of like the First Amendment of the Internet, where it essentially protects the platforms from the content the users are saying. And just to give you an idea of what that means, it like, for example, one of the first lawsuits that kind of shaped 230 was like way back in 2002, where a woman decided, uh, a mom decided to, a Florida mom decided to sue AOL because her son got a pop-up for porn. So now I know that, I know that sounds crazy. Well, the, the part that didn't sound crazy was that it came from Florida. That part <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so here's the thing. Obviously, you know, what it ended up happening is that, you know, AOL is not going to be liable for that, you know, porn pop-up. And even more so, I mean, think of that as a platform, as a business, because there's people on, who are listening to a show that want to build up their business, you know, and sometimes they want to create the next Reddit, the next Facebook, the next Twitter. Imagine legally the hurdles you would have to face in order even to create the next Wikipedia. It's impossible to think of that nowadays because imagine having to moderate every single thing a user posts before it goes up. That's insanity. That's insane. Yeah. Which is why we have Section 230. Because Section 230 says, if some insane person from Idaho says they want to kill people in a mall, Twitter is not responsible for that. They can obviously moderate the content, but they are in no shape or form 
respond, held responsible. And that's a big deal. And for business owners, we should be exceptionally concerned because that means that our rights, you know, and our even platforms that we're even hosting on our own, our rights could be taken away, uh, you know, for having our content, you know, just because someone may not like or agree. And it makes me very nervous, the trend we're going, especially since like, for example, Section 230, repealing that has gotten a lot of traction from the left and the right. Trump wants to repeal it, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and I could go on. Wow. So uh, I just thought of something, and uh, this may be a good idea for you. (laughs) And uh, I got a little bit lost as soon as I thought about this, but you were talking about how uh, basically, we discuss on the podcast and how uh, you discuss porn. And of course, one of the top well-known male porn actors is, watch it or not, people heard about Ron Jeremy. Oh, God. Have you ever thought of having the Ron Jeremy crayons where they're short and they're a little bit wider? <laughs> the Ron Jeremy crayons? <laughs> So maybe not the Ron Jeremy crayons, but I did actually just come out with the porn pack of offensive crayons. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we bring you all the colors you'll ever want as far as sex jokes are concerned. So everything from Safe Word Sage to uh, Debbie Does Dandelion. I think I'm going to dot, dot, dot cream. (laughs) And one of the things I'll mention, though, is if you notice when it comes to my crayons, I have a couple of rules when it comes to making them. And I'll never use an organization or a person's name because I kind of don't want to get sued. True. Yes. <laughs> Although when it comes to celebrities, isn't that because it's their celebrity name? Uh, isn't that somewhat allowed? Like there are so many Donald Trump coins that... Um, Well, Donald Trump is different. And what I mean by that is he's a public figure. So for example, if you wanted to do, um, actually there's, um, there's a company that does bobbleheads of public figures of, uh, of Bernie Sanders, of Elizabeth Warren, of Donald Trump. And they're allowed to do that. Why? Because they're public individuals. Now, if I wanted to do a Leo DiCaprio or Bill Nye, the science guy action figure or bobblehead, no, I need the rights. Okay. So I didn't know that. Yeah, public, uh, publicly elected uh, officials, totally different and fair game. Okay, gotcha. All right, so good to know. Yeah, don't want you getting sued. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I, I went through many of those, mostly cease and desist. It had nothing to do with uh, people or people's names, but I, uh, I learned my lesson years ago, so I'm completely out of that now. You don't know what you don't know, right? And... Uh, Zufa, like the, the owners of the UFC, or they used to be. I don't know if they still are, but um, Plenty of Fish. You ever heard of Plenty of Fish? They, yes, I have. I got a cease and desist from them, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Really? What'd you <laughs> yes. do? I had something similar, and the name was similar, too. So, okay. Um, yes, and it's it's considered cyber squatting, I'm guessing. and, and uh, So I, I let it go. <laughs> They were right. I wasn't because I didn't know. I didn't do it. I wasn't being mean. I just really didn't know. I didn't know better. So Totally fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and that's the thing. Sometimes it's just trial and error. Exactly. Cool. So, Alice, uh, one of the things that people are listening right now are probably thinking that's something that I'm thinking too is, Alice would be the perfect person to have an agency that creates viral things because 
every niche that you're into, doesn't matter if it's the porn cast, the podcast, or even your crayons, are things that eventually you know that you won't be able to advertise them everywhere, right? There's something about them that will can get you banned or will get people pissed. It's like lately, like it looks like everybody will get pissed at everything. But uh, so, did you, did you ever think about that? Starting something where you can help others think out of the box and get this organic viral effect? I've thought about it. However, here's a challenge when it comes to a lot of products. A lot of products are boring. So, um, mm. The thing is, I don't want to promise a moon to someone where I know I can't necessarily deliver. And look, I know I've gone viral myself a handful of times, maybe a few dozen times actually. But what works for me is not going to work for, say, a pool business or someone that you know has a hot tub business or sells light fixtures. And what I could do is, I mean, I've always considered uh, creating my own marketing agency because I feel like I could, you know, lend a hand here and there when it comes to, you know, coming up with uh, good marketable ideas and ways to present things. Uh, but, you know, again, what works for one person is not going to necessarily work for a completely different business. So you have to do what works best for you. If you want to work in a specific segment or niche and you want to be completely buttoned up and professional, you can do that. Uh, but if you want to let your hair down and go a little crazy, there's going to be people that, you know, will like your product as well. But you need to be authentic with your messaging because at the end of the day, that's what tends to sell nowadays. And that's what makes a lot of campaigns do well. A hundred percent. And if people want to find the Offensive Crayons, that's just OffensiveCrayons.com. Two Girls, One Mike is just exactly that, TwoGirlsOneMike.com. Where else can people find you? Uh, we are everywhere people uh, listen to podcasts. So iTunes, Spotify, however you're listening to this, head over to uh, just spell out the whole thing, Two Girls, One Mike, uh, with the porncast. Uh, we actually uh, were the ones with the white background, microphone, and a little bra. Uh, unfortunately, I say that because when I started the show, we were the only ones. And now there's a few Two Girls, One Mike. Uh, <laughs> even though we're the most popular, uh, apparently, and that's the thing, whenever you you know, do something right, people will copy you. Uh, so uh, yeah, offensivecrayons.com, also twogirlswithmike.com. Check out the show. It's fun. It's funny. You'll learn something. Uh, we talk science, sex, sex work. Uh, we have something for everyone, I want to say. Law, legalese, healthcare, who knows? Um, and then uh, if you want to find me individually, I'm on Twitter at Rational Blonde. There you go. I'll have all of those on the show notes. Alice, thank you so much. I'm going to subscribe to your podcast. I see you have, as of today, 96 episodes, so I'll, I'll have a lot of catch-up today. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy them. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I actually, I don't even want to listen to, like, my first few episodes because I can't think of, to help but think, how bad was I? Mm. Uh, <laughs> but... It, it's fun because we've had so many great guests. We've had some awesome comedians like Tom Arnold show up on the show uh, and, you know, Sherard Small. And we've had uh, stars like Nina Hartley and Lisa Ann and uh, Tommy Pistol. Everybody's been so great and nice. And I feel like I'm constantly learning something new. Yeah, you don't have to tell me about the bad, the bad beginnings because right about now with the two podcasts that I have, I'm at about... 500 episodes so i mean that's a few hundred episodes right 500 is a big number and 
still today, if I go back and listen to some of my episodes, I'm like, wow, that guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, you're always learning. And uh, if, I mean, we're always too tough judging ourselves. If So if I were to judge myself all the time, none of those 500 episodes would be out there. So yeah. No, I completely understand where you're coming from. Sometimes you got to just, you know, enjoy the ride and do it. I mean, I've had, and that's the thing when you do a podcast, there's also anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Um, so we've had episodes where like it takes three weeks of editing because someone didn't wear headphones or, uh, and we had everybody's voice on, you know, the background of the track. We've had lost audio. We've had, you know, episodes on the fritz or, you know, microphones click, just anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So uh, there's so many resources nowadays. Uh, so Facebook groups are actually great if you're going to, if you've, if you've wanted, wanted to ever start a podcast, first off, your first 20 episodes will be terrible, but do them. Uh, <laughs> and there's tons of Facebook groups. So please ask around. There's so many people who are willing to help uh, as far as, you know, helping you off on the right foot. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's been really rewarding. Yes. And as a testimonial to what you said, that whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Five minutes before this podcast started, behind these windows, these are just the, the fake screen windows, but behind these windows, that the, there's a real backyard. And I had three little girls and one little boy in the swimming pool. And you had no idea how loud it is. So they are temporarily <laughs> watching a movie until I am done the interview with Alice Vaughn because <laughs> it was it would be impossible. To, the water splashing, the kids yelling, everything does happen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can't really edit those out in post. <laughs> no, not a chance. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for having me on, Quinn. This is great. Thank you so much. It is a huge pleasure having you here. And uh, congratulations on your crayon success on your empire. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully some of your listeners will buy some over at offensivecrayons.com. There you go. Thank you. Bye.